let me introduce you to inspiring entrepreneurs. Hi there, my name is Ben Gothard. My mission is to interview incredible entrepreneurs who are changing the world and present their stories to you, unscripted and unedited. From billionaires to Forbes 30 under 30 recipients to New York Times bestselling authors and much, much more, these people are living proof that nothing is impossible. Join me on this journey to learn from their experiences and become the person you're meant to be. Welcome to the Project Egg Show every morning at 8 a.m. Central. Three, two, one. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to an extraordinarily special episode of the Project Egg Show. Today, we get to speak with Russ Henneberry, one of my role models in the digital marketing space. Uh, he, he's been doing so many great things, going from a, a high school teacher to a wizard of content a master in the digital marketing space, working with Salesforce, digital marketer, crazy egg, and doing so many incredible things that I couldn't possibly capture in one single little introduction. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, please put your digital hands together for Russ. How you doing today, man? Hey, what's up? Thanks for having me. And what a great introduction. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on the show, man. Uh, I really don't think that you know the impact that you've had in my life, and uh, it, it is such an honor to have you on the show. So, I let's, appreciate uh, it. Yeah, let's let's jump right in, man. What is your story? Well, you kind of hit on a lot of it. I started out coming out of college as a high school teacher, which I loved. I, I you know, I have the heart of a teacher, which I think is an important um, aspect of of being a content marketer and being a digital marketer today. But um, I digress. So I, I was teaching for about four years and I loved it a lot, but I, I realized I was not going to make a ton of money doing that. So um, I left school, uh, the school's been, and I started a business, but the first business I started, it's a miserable failure, but um, I, I started a fundraising company for, for um, schools because that's what I knew. I knew schools. So I was like, well, you know, we can, you know, I can do one of these fundraisers, like where the kids run around and sell products and stuff like that and raise money for the school. And, you know, I got some sales and I learned how to hustle. I think I went door to door. I mean, I went school to school in my car, knocking on doors and trying to get past secretaries and get in front of principals and superintendents and stuff like that. It's very, very hard to sell into school systems for anybody that's ever done it. But, um, one of the things I learned during that time was how to build a website. Um, you know, this is 2004. So, you know, I started doing some pay-per-click advertising. I was trying to figure out how SEO worked and stuff like that. Um, but eventually I had to fold that business up and I went uh, and, and took a job at a, at a company called Network Solutions, which NetSol was the first company in the U.S. that was able to register domains, maybe in the world. I don't know. But wow. I know for a fact in the U.S., they had a monopoly on the ability to register domains because no one, no one knew this Internet thing was going to take off anyway. So I think they awarded this. And I don't know what the whole story is, but when they did ultimately end up opening up uh, competition, you, know, you had your GoDaddy came in and Namecheap and everybody else came in and started undercutting network solutions, which is why you don't hear their name very often anymore. But at the time they were a massive internet company. And so I went in the, uh, and, and um, took over their SEO operations there and had about, I don't know, 20 de developers when I was at, when we were at the peak, and they also did like web design services and different things. This is one of the ways they were trying to combat the fact that, they were very reliant on domain names that are, that were like $25 a year to register, which is sounds ridiculous, but you know, they still have, because I think web.com bought them, but um, eventually that company, well, at least the office over here, I'm, I'm from St. Louis and, and there was a, an office over here in Belleville, Illinois. They shut that whole thing down, laid everybody off. 
Um, I was getting ready to have my second child when I got laid off and I was like, God. So, um, you know, I did some freelancing, did a lot of, you know, stuff like that. Ultimately, I ended up catching on with a guy named Neil Patel, who's, you know, kind of a legend in the digital marketing space um, and worked with him on the Crazy Egg blog, which is, you mentioned that earlier. They're a software company do heat maps and stuff like that. So we launched the daily egg and I managed all that for him for a couple of years. Ultimately ended up leaving there and going to salesforce.com to help them with their content marketing and, and get their blog up off the ground. Then went to digitalmarketer.com, worked with Ryan Dice, which was really my finishing school, I think, even though I was, you know, in my late thirties, but um, you know, it was definitely some, some MBA finishing school stuff going on there at digital marketer where, you know, I, I became a pretty, I don't know, influential person through digital marketer. I was, I was in charge of all content and all product, which was, you know, we, what we sold was content training. They still do some of the best training in digital marketing in the world. So um, yeah, I worked with Ryan and the team, you know, we grew that team while I was there from, I don't know if I was like number eight person there or whatever, but, you know, that, that company's got, you know, 50, 60 people there now just under that brand. So, um, so went through some rapid growth and changes at DM and now I'm, uh, working for myself. Um, I started a company called modernpublisher.com and we are all about, you know, my, what I know better than anything is information products. I know how to build them and I know how to sell them. So everything from masterminds and courses and uh, print books and, um, you know, lead generation using content and, um, you know, live events. Uh, you know, I was, in, you know, pretty, pretty involved in traffic and conversion summit. So I got a lot of uh, experience on the big industry event side. You know, that, that conference was about 6,000 people last year. So I got a lot of experience in the info space. So modern publisher is all about, you know, training today's information marketer. So that's my story. <laughs> it's a damn good story, my friend. <laughs> so it seems like one of the one of the common themes that has been pervasive throughout your career is is you being a teacher and you teaching where did your love and, and passion for teaching come from? It's a good question. I mean, my family, all in education, both my parents were administrators and, and before that teachers, my wife, when, when I met her was, was going into teaching and actually her and I taught for a couple of years at the same school. Um, it's in my blood, but it is, it is kind of curious. Like I left teaching and then ultimately ended up back in, in it. And, you know, honestly, I think that teachers are some of the most undervalued people on the planet and not just in the way that they are paid in the school systems. Cause that's one thing. And it's certainly an undervalued situation there, but I think they undervalue themselves. I don't think they realize how much application, especially today, anybody that has a teacher's heart and feels like they really just want to figure out how to make things make sense to people. They love to watch people's eyes light up with, with knowledge. Anybody that has that, whether they're already teaching or whether they, um, you know, just have that heart in them, they're coming out of college or something like that. The business world needs people like that, especially if you can communicate, right? If you're a good oral or written communicator or both, and you have the heart of a teacher, God, the, the sky's the limit these days because, you know, the internet needs you. The, the, the world needs your, you know, special, special genius, you know? So it's one of the reasons why I launched Modern Publisher is because I want to be around more people that, that teach and that, that like to teach and like to help people. So who knows where it came from? It's, I don't know if it's something born or something you just, I, I really think anybody that gets a chance to do it, you know, we'll, we'll like it, you know, dude, you're almost like the teacher whisperer. <laughs> <laughs> Those are my peeps. That's awesome. So <laughs> let's, let's say you have a teacher, right? And, you know, clearly you know this stuff better than me. So 
if if I'm not asking the right questions, please let me know. But it seems like as a teacher, you kind of have a, a, a certain mindset of, okay, I need to go find some place to teach. I need to teach my curriculum. Bam. But but at the same time, there's this huge need in the business world for people who can who can teach other people who can communicate their ideas and and really help bring up other people. So how, how do you bridge that gap between I'm a teacher versus I'm going to go out in the business world and teach and like make a big impact there? Well, I mean, you can bridge that gap by going in and working somewhere and go work for somebody else because you know, to start with, you may not have the entrepreneur chops or feel the courage to get out there and maybe take that risk. Um, I know, I know that, you know, a, a lot of, a lot of people will compare themselves to other folks and stuff like that. And they're like, I got to get out there and I got to start my own thing right away. And I got to, you know, I got to, um, you know, but my path, my path has been slow and steady wins the race. Right. I've worked for a lot of other companies. I've worked for large and small. I worked for NetSol and Salesforce, which are huge corporate jobs. I've I worked for a company called BookSource. I didn't mention that it was a short stint there, which was small, and Digital Marketer, which was small. Right. Um, and I prefer the small business. This, you know, the more because I, I felt like I'm more of an impact. But you can start there, you know, by getting inside. And, and honestly, people with teaching skills and communication skills in particular, like my, whenever I was hiring somebody at Digital Marketer, for example, if I knew that person could write, like let, step one, is this a good person? Okay, if it's a good person, then check that box. Okay, it's like, good, that's a good person. They're gonna have a good culture fit here. Step two was, okay, I'm hiring for videographer or editor or, whatever, it doesn't matter what it was. What I was always looking for is they say they can do this and, and there's some evidence that says they can do it, but can they communicate either orally or written? And if they can, I would hire them because I could always find something for them to do in this world that we live in today if they can write or speak, right? Because you can produce content for me. You know, you don't even have to author it. You could be a ghost writer, all right? So, um, you know, you could go that route where you're just going to go and, and, and become an entrepreneur, right? So you're going to, you're going to become, uh, you know, an entrepreneur that's on somebody else's team. You don't own the company. You're just, you're, you're just, and that's why I like to stay on with a smaller company, right? Because you can be more of an entrepreneur uh, in a smaller organization. The other route to go is to go launch your own thing, right? So a lot of what I'm teaching over at Modern Publisher is the business model of information marketing, right? Like what is that business model? And how do you make it work? How do, you know, how do the largest information product businesses in the world work? Tony Robbins, Dave Ramsey, Ryan Dice, Marie Forleo, Amy Porterfield, they're all running the same model. Um, and, and so, you know, one of the first things you find if you, if you come over to Modern Publisher is that I will teach you what that model is, you know, and, and how the sausage is made, you know, in the info business. Um, and it's crazy, but it, it, it truly is that there is really a, a single model uh, that everyone uses and it's kind of a law, you know, in, in the info space. So you can certainly go out on your own as well. So that definitely begs the question, what is that model? Yeah, well, yeah. So, so the model is that, you know, there's essentially four stages to to your ascension ladder in, in the info space. And really, really this applies a lot of what I'll say would be very specific to info, but this idea of an ascension ladder of customer and prospect or audience member, whatever you want to call them, you know, it, it, it goes across all business models, whether it's e-commerce, software services, uh, you know, whatever it is, physical products, retail, you got to have, you know, a way to walk people up a ladder. And in the information space, stage one is attention, really. All right. So how am I going to get attention? We have a few different, you know, uh, you have a few different types of content that you can put together that can get you attention. You have blogs, podcasts, video sharing, right? Like right now, you know, and this is what this thing looks like, by the way. I mean, it's, it's kind of cra crazy, but uh, you know, you're, if I looked at your 
model here, what you're doing, I would at least check the podcast button, you know, check mark here at the attention stage because I can tell that you're doing a podcast, right? So we're sitting here uh, building something that has the ability to get attention for Project Egg, right? Your your business. So, um, but you could just easily, you know, I see you have a blog on your site. I was kind of coming around on your site before I jumped on here. You know, you have video sharing going on. You're doing all three at the same time. Like right now, I think we're live. So, um, you know, you're using a lot of the different things you have at your disposal at the attention stage to get attention. The problem is what you don't want to do at that attention stage is try to measure the direct ROI of this podcast. Like how many products did it sell? How many, what you're looking for here is what some people would call vanity metrics. And I would disagree. You're looking for impressions, right? You're looking for people to become in contact with project egg. Right. And, and same reason I'm doing the inter this interview with you is I like you. I think you're awesome, but I also want to get out there and get exposure. Right. So I'm, I'm using um, podcasting as an attention getting, you know, mechanism. You know, secondly, you have subscription. So you want to walk somebody up from attention to subscription. Subscription is when somebody gives you their contact information and kind of says, hey, it's cool. Like, let's keep the conversation going. I'm going to go from being a ghost that was on your blog or kind of just listening to your podcast. And I'm going to give you my contact information. And so we have a lot of different things as info marketers at, at our disposal at that stage as well. And, you know, you got lead magnets. So I, I define a lead magnet as a small chunk of value that you give to somebody in exchange for their contact information, checklist, mind map, uh, grocery lists, if you know, uh, uh, you know, templates, swipe file, all these types of things, free reports. And I don't love those as a lead magnet anymore, but, but, um, then you have things like mini classes where you're going to have something a little more involved, like maybe a three or four video class. You have webinars are great, you know, very, very uh, flexible um, uh, type of content that you can build at the subscription stage. You can have free events online and, and have people opt in to come to the event. And there you go. You got, you got their contact information. So you have attention and subscription. And then the third stage is acquisition. So acquisition this is important to understand because at the last two stages, you got acquisition and then you got monetization. It's the fourth stage. And the biggest thing to understand, and you, when I told you I was in finishing school and I worked for Ryan Dice, this was the largest mind-blowing concept for me, and it took me a while to wrap my head around it and really understand how important it is to have a to understand the distinction between being in an acquisition mindset and being in a monetization mindset. So acquisition is when we want to take a, a lead and we want to transform that lead into a customer, right? Or we want to take a customer that's bought some stuff and have them buy again, but we're not necessarily all that interested in being profitable at that stage, which this is the part that's really hard for people to understand. They're like, what do you mean? Like why would I sell something that's not profitable? And the reason you would do that is because you are trying to acquire buyers. That's it. At the acquisition stage, you're looking to acquire buyers because there's nothing more important than to be adding buyers to your list, not just leads, but buyers on your list and recent buyers. Right. So, for example, in the information space at DM, at Digital Market, we run a lot of flash sales for like $10 products, right? Small $10 trainings. And you think, well, we're not going to make that much money on that. Um, you know, and with the list, the size we, we had, we were able to sell thousands of those. And it's still not the business model, right? You know, we would sell, you know, let's say we sell 3,000 copies of a $7 training. Well, that's, you know, that's a decent amount of revenue, but that's not what we're doing it for. You know, what we're doing it for is to activate the list and get a lot of recent buyers on there. We're also going out to people that have never bought from us before and getting them activated, get them to buy, right? We're going out to cold traffic, people that don't even know who we are or just kind of aren't even on the list or anything and trying to get them to activate and buy something at a low cost. So you have things like digital courses, you know, you could, you can do a small training at, you know, 10, 20, up to a hundred bucks is usually my acquisition price points. 
in the info space, anything under a hundred bucks. You have low ticket live events. You know, you see like Grant Cardone. I saw you interviewed him the other day. I, you know, I just swiped an ad from, from him, put it in my swipe file. Uh, he's doing like a little, I think 40, $47 webinar training or something like that. That would be an acquisition play. And the reason you know it's acquisition is because you know Grant is going to charge you $47 for that webinar. And then what's going to happen? He's going to sell you something else on that webinar. He's going to monetize. So he's going to, he's going to go to stage four on the webinar. So you're going to pay the 10 bucks or the 20 bucks or the whatever. And he's going to give you a lot of value because he's a good guy and he's, he's a very smart guy. And he's going to give you a ton of, he's going to give you your $47 worth and more. And that's also key is, is, you know, this is, none of this is manipulative. It's, it, you really need to be giving people value, but you know, there is a massive strategy here. He's going to get you in at $47 and then he's going to sell you something that might be $2,000 or $10,000 or $1,000 or whatever. And that's his monetization stage. Okay. And that's what I mean. Grant Cardone, you name it, anybody in the information space using the same model because stage four, well, let me, let me go into one more thing in the acquisition stage. At acquisition, when you're looking to acquire customers, and we could talk about this more if you want, because I'm, I'm actually right now very fired up about this because of some ads that I'm running and I'm getting some negative comments on these ads. We'll talk about that in a second because I'm targeting self-published authors. Okay, now people that are self-published, I love a self-published book at the acquisition stage because I have complete control over the price point. I can go direct to consumer. I can, I can drop the price of it to zero. So if you look at a lot of, say, like Tony Robbins funnels, and how he goes about his acquisition in stage three is he uses a print book and he uses a free plus shipping offer at the print book level. So he's going to go in and say, he might run an ad that says, Hey, you can grab my, uh, my, a copy of money master the game, his book for, uh, for free click over to go over here. And he's just like, Hey, you know, this is a free book. Uh, I need you to pay three ninety five in shipping, four ninety five, six ninety five, whatever it is. You're gonna pay. You're gonna pay for shipping, and I'm gonna send you the book. But guess what? When you buy the book, he's going to start. He's gonna immediately make you an upsell offer uh, to buy a larger monetization level product, and then he's gonna start using email and everything else that he has at his disposal, right? Text if he's got it, uh, Messenger if he has it everything that he has retargeting, everything that he has at his disposal to sell you the next thing, right? So he's activating you with the acquisition stage with the print book. Brendan Burchard, you know, I mean, most of his business was built on the back of the book funnel, right? Which is an acquisition play. But Brent, Brendan doesn't make, you know, Tony Robbins isn't making his money on selling you free books, all right. So there's a back end to what he's doing. And then we have tripwire products. So you have digital courses, low ticket events, like low dollar webinar trainings. You have print books and then you have tripwire products. Uh, so what I, what I define, the way I define a tripwire product is a physical product that is very, very low ticket. Usually it's being sold at cost. And usually a lot of times you're losing money when you're actually sending this thing out. So a good example of this is when I was at Digital Marketer, we sold more knives than you could ever think of, man. We had our own warehouse and everything. I mean, it was just tons of knives going out of there because we had a brand in the survival space. And we were selling these knives for, for cost, right? Whatever we could get them for, we'd sell them to you for. And you'd think, well, why would you do that? And it's because we need to acquire buyers. We want to acquire people that would be interested in having, it was a, spe a special kind of knife that you could kind of hide in your wallet or something. It was a credit card knife. It's kind of cool, actually. But we'd sell it for like five bucks. And that's how much we could get it for. You know, And if we could get it for four bucks, we'd sell it for four bucks. Whatever we could get it for, we would sell it for. And we would lose money on that deal. We would send out lots and lots of credit card knives every, every day that lost money, but the back end was where we made the money, right? So we'd sell membership, we'd sell other courses, um, you know, to those people. So acquiring the buyer. Then you get to that monetization stage where everybody wants to be, right? And you've got this, um, you've got things like big high ticket digital courses, right? You might call it a masterclass or, something like that, where you've got a, a higher ticket course. Um, you've got services. I love services at the monetization stage, consulting, coaching. Um, yeah, I'm talking to a, 
to a guy right now who's a student of mine uh, in, in, in who's building a course in one of my classes. And really what he's looking to do is use the course as a way to acquire buyers and then sell them printing, right? Because he owns a print company, right? And his print company is dealing with like Moo and Vistaprint and all these people. And he's like, I'm going to use information on the front end to acquire people, uh, buyers that are interested in learning more about direct mail. This is his plan. Okay. So I'm going to, I'm going to teach you uh, direct mail and then guess what? When you need your direct mail pieces, you come to me and I'll do the printing and shipping and labeling and buy the list for you and all that stuff. Right. So he's using info on the front end to sell services. And I love services on the back end, especially consulting, coaching, all that stuff. You have membership. So you can build membership sites. You can build different continuity products that people pay you monthly, um, annually. You have small group events like masterminds, right? So, you know, at DM again, you know, again, this is why I call it my finishing school. We were, we had our war room mastermind is $25,000 a year. That's a big monetization play, right? So we might have somebody that came up through our blog or a podcast, went through a lead magnet, bought some small stuff, the acquisition stage, bought some courses at the monetization stage, and then ultimately ended up in our $25,000 mastermind program. And then you have large group events like conferences or summits, some call them summits and stuff like that, you know, where you're selling tickets for, you know, anywhere from 500 to a couple of grand or more, right, for large events. So that's kind of what you have. I mean, those are, you know, there's certainly other sort of, you know, if you did a little other and wrote some new things in here, but this is the model. You have attention, subscription, acquisition, and monetization. You have different types of content you can build and sell at the different stages. Um, and if you're, if you're in the information space, you don't need to have all these things in place immediately, but you should be working on it to make a, a very predictable, scalable, you know, thriving info business. I bet you didn't think I was going to rant for that long. I'm really glad you did because you're dropping some serious value there. What were those things that you were saying about stage three that you were fired up about with the ads that you were running right now? Well, so with, especially with self-published authors, what I'm finding with them is I target, I'm targeting them with some ads and I'm saying to them like, Hey man, like if you're frustrated with your book sales, there's a better way to use that book. And that is as a front end offer, I can't tell you how many, you know, I've been doing this a long time, uh, been in this space for, you know, I would say I've been a digital marketer for over 10 years. And so I've talked to a lot of people that are either bloggers or podcasters or different things, authors, speakers. And a lot of times what I well, I'll ask them is like, okay, so what are you doing? And it's like, well, I'm a, I'm a, I'm an author. And it's like, cool. What'd you write? And it's like, you know, let's say it's a business book, right? Or it's some kind of nonfiction book. Like, how to hit a baseball, how to turn doubles into home runs. That's the name of my book. And it's like, okay, cool. That's great. How's it going? And it's like, I don't make any money off of it. Like I can't figure it out, but I wrote this book. I, I thought it was going to be great. And, and I thought I was going to, you know, I'm an author now and everything should be great. And it's like, I know why you're frustrated. You're frustrated because books are, I hate to break it to you, but books are not a good way to make a living. I wrote digital marketing for dummies through Wiley and it was even published, right? We made squat off of that. Right. And that's not why I wrote it. You know, I wrote it for the credibility. It's a big business card for me. It gets me on a lot of stages that it wouldn't, it wouldn't ordinarily get me on. Um, but I didn't write it for the money. You know, if you're going to try to make a living, even off of a, Hey, sweet. I, li I literally have that book. <laughs> oh yeah. Nice. Yeah, I have, they just translated a Korean, which was which is awesome. They, and they send uh, send me a copy of every translation. <laughs> the Korean one's my favorite. But yeah, I mean, books are not a great business. Books are not a great way to make money. Nonfiction books, you know, especially self publishing. What you want to be using that book for is on the front end as a way to sell services. So if I if I wrote uh, how to how to turn doubles into home runs as a book. So it's a, a book about hitting a baseball. Well, maybe I'm selling um, uh, a uh, hitting camp, right? On the back end, that's more higher ticket and where I can make some cash. Maybe I'm selling a digital course that somebody can go into and learn how to be a better hitter. Maybe I'm selling a small group, you know, I, I don't know, but you, you're going to have to figure out something at the monetization stage and use the book as a way to acquire buyers. 
right? So uh, the same way, the same way we've been using them forever. Uh, and it's just one of these secrets that most people don't realize is that a print book is not the end game. It's, it's, it's kind of a piece of cheese, right? People love books. They're very easy to understand. It's like, okay, like it's a book, like what's the worst that could happen? And it's free. You know, a lot of times they sell it to it for free, but you know, uh, but it's a book. The worst that could happen is that the book's terrible. I fire it in the trash can and that's the end of that. So it's a real low risk way for somebody to become a buyer. And it's a real easy way for you to identify that somebody's interested in learning how to hit better or learning how to run Facebook ads or learning, wants to learn how to grow big, red, luscious tomatoes. You know, whatever it is they bought the book about, you know, it's an indication that they're interested and you need to have a back end, you know, an event, a course, a service, a mastermind, or something on the back end to monetize those new, new customers. So the reason I'm frustrated is because I'm running ads, these self-publishers and they're, and they're, you know, you can just tell they've been burned in the past and they feel like, you know, there's no way to, there's no way to make this work. And, and, you know, they wrote the book and now it's worthless and, and all this stuff. And it comes through in their comments. And so it's frustrating. I just want to shake them and say, Oh God, if you could just see how this works, you know, <laughs> maybe that could be an ad. I wish I could show you how this works. I, I might try that. Yeah. I'll tell you these ads are converting great because it's a little bit controversial. I'm telling them that uh, essentially I'm telling them that their book is not the way to make money. And there's another way to use that book, but it's, it's not the way you think. You know, you use it on the front end. So, so let's say somebody knows that they're a teacher. They know they have really good information, and maybe maybe they're doing a lot of stuff, but they haven't figured out how to package the content in a way that they feel comfortable selling it. Right. Is that more of a mindset thing to where they're just holding themselves back and thinking, oh, I'm not valuable enough to sell this content? Or is it they just don't know the right ways to package it? Like what's going on there? What, what really holds people back? Well, if you're going to go out and do a course, let's just say, for example, um, which is a great way to build scale if you're doing services and you're tired of being chained to your clients and, you know, feel like... Um, you know, what you want to do is you want to go from client to customer, right? There's a big difference when you're referring to your, to the people you work with as clients, you are in a service-based business. And here's the problem with services. Uh, like the guy who cuts my grass, for example, I pay him after he cuts the grass, right? I don't pay him before he doesn't show up and then, and I pay him and then he cuts the grass. He cuts the grass and then I pay him. If I'm going to have a roof done on my house, the roof gets done, then I pay the contractor, right? Like that's one of the biggest problems with services is, is the way that everything is stacked in the favor of the client, right? And, you, and oftentimes, you know, we get burned. You know, I've been in services forever. You know, I still offer services. I just stack it in my direction. I productize my service. Um, but if you're somebody that's sitting there thinking like, okay, I'm in the I, I, you know, I know something that I can use to help people. It's either I've either helped myself through a problem or I've helped other people and gotten results. Um, yeah. I mean, it is somewhat of a, a, a limiting belief that you can't sell that, you know? Um, I mean, I don't know what it is you help them with, but if there's any demand for it at all, uh, you can package it up and sell it. You know, when I talk to people about courses and when people go through my training on how to build online courses, the thing that freaks people out sometimes, some people love it, some people hate it, is when I tell them, I want you to teach this course live and I want you to sell it before you've even built it. Does that make sense? Have you gotten results? Yes, I've gotten results. Okay. You feel like there's a market here? Yes. All right. Let's go through a few things. All right. So if you're thinking about building a course, for example, here's what I advise you to do. Outline the thing. All right. So you know what you're going to cover. You got the outline done and then build something that I call a framework. A framework is a, you know, I, I have a pretty specific definition. It's a single page graphic usually that explains how you think about growing tomatoes, hitting the baseball harder, running Facebook ads. It's your take on how to do it. And it's a single graphic that 
you know, somebody could look at and it, you know, by the way, that's what this is, right? It's a framework. I'm able to take somebody and say, Hey, this is how this works. And I want you to, you know, I have a, I have a dozen examples of it um, that I've built over the years, but I, you know, when you get that framework done, now it's time to go out and sell that thing before you go and shoot all the, the videos and before you build all the decks and before you do all that stuff, you're going to want to go out and sell it. And there's a couple of reasons for that. One, you don't know if it will sell. And if it doesn't, guess what? You didn't do much with it. It's essentially the same conversation that, that people are having over in the software world, which is let's not build the entire app first. Let's build the minimum viable product, right? Something that we feel like we can sell. It's got one feature and benefit and this is what it is. And then let's watch and create a feedback loop between us and the customer and improve the thing as we go, all right? So literally when you sell your course the first time, I advise people to sell it. They need to know what the framework is they're going to use and what the outline is, right? But guess what? The outline is going to change. You're going to literally fix this plane while you're flying it, all right? I tell people to, I tell people to um, build deliverables into their courses where they're able to talk one-on-one with their, with their students because the student's going to go, you know what? I don't get X or I don't get Y or I wish you'd added some more stuff on Z. Go ahead and build that stuff. Before you go and automate the thing and make it this thing that's already finished, just get out there and sell it. The second reason I advise that is that a lot of people like to just play business. They just like to play, right? Like, oh, I'm going to build the website and I'm going to, I'm going to give the course a name and I'm going to, you know, think about the customer avatar and everything, but they do everything except sell it. And I hate to say it, but until you have a even it's just one customer. You do not have a business. You have to have a customer to have a business. Having a product does not mean you're in business. You have to have a customer. And so you really need to go out there and skip most of the product creation side of it and build this thing as you go and teach it live and get out there and sell it. Um, and so that can get people feeling pretty, you know, whoa, things just got kind of real. You know, it's like, yeah. Get out there and sell the product, right? And that's why I emphasize so much in my training on building online courses about the launch and how to get leads and then how to, you know, and I I give them all the emails and the ads and the pages and the templates and everything to build out the part that matters, which is selling the dang thing. Because you can't, your business cannot move forward you cannot get this thing going until you can figure out how to actually sell it. Does that make sense? Yeah, that, that makes a ton of sense. It seems like this whole back end of like, and, and maybe I'm using back end the wrong way, but, but of actually building and deploying the product, you're saying, okay, let's push that out for now. Let's not worry about that. Let's actually sell the idea, sell the concept the, the concept, the outline, or the, the framework and outline, I believe were the words they used, get customers, then build in a system where we can get feedback from the customers and then build it live as you do it, as you teach it. That's exactly right. So you're going to want to know, okay, who am I selling this to? What problem does it solve? How am I going to teach it from an outline and a framework standpoint, right? Once you know that part, you know, you're, you're, you can picture how you're going to teach this. Like, you know what the, like, like if I was going to teach this as a course, which is not a course, it's, this is an overarching framework of my entire business, but there are four stages here. How many modules are going to be in my course? Four, right? And then I'm going to have different, when you get the framework down, that's a really key thing. I'm not saying that you need to run out there and just, and just make a bunch of promises on a page and sell um, something you have not thought through. Um, I've been in that situation. We've done that before. And I've had some dumpster fire situations on my hands where, you know, we didn't think a deliverable through, like we said we would do X and we really can't fulfill on that as well as we hoped we'd be able to do. 
So you need to think through, you know, how the course is going to work and how the delivers. What I'm telling you to stop short of is going and recording everything and building out all the worksheets and, and doing all of that stuff because that is very time intensive. And what you're doing is you might be building a house and when the per- person, and then you, you know, you're going to go out there and sell it. And everybody's like, I don't like that house. I don't like how it's laid out. I don't like, you know, I don't like anything at all. You know, there's that whole old story that uh, I don't remember what college it was, but they decided not to put the sidewalks in to the college right away. They said, let's just wait and see what happens. And so they, they spent an entire year. Um, they built all the buildings, but no sidewalks in between them. And then they just paved over the places where people had built the trails, you know, the foot trails through the grass. You could see where everybody had been walking. Let's pave that. Right. And that's kind of the idea here is you need to know what you're selling and what's problem it solves and what deliverables are going to be there. And, and, and that kind of thing. And you've got to know and feel that you can fulfill it, but don't go and shoot it all go out there first and soft, you know, even just do a soft launch out to, you know, maybe it's just your social media friends or a small network and see if you can get five or six students, for example, you know, and, and get, get, get something going, get paid to build the rest. Right. Um, But if you go out there and everybody's like, look, I'm not interested in that. Like, I don't like, I don't even like the promise that you're making here. Then it's like, wow, you know, maybe I need to go back to the drawing board on what this course is going to be about. There's some of the biggest disasters you see today in business is when somebody goes and builds something completely out. And, you know, whether it's a physical product or a service or a, a so- software is a disaster when you do it this way. And that's why the whole idea of the MVP, right? The minimum viable product. Um, but info is the same way. You don't want to go and build something out until you've at least proven you can sell it. You know, so <laughs> I I want to play devil's advocate for a second. Yeah. Let's say you have somebody who's trying to put out a product and or, or service, whatever, trying to be like the next Steve Jobs that wants to give people or, or the next the next Ford. Right. I mean, there's there's that quote that's going out there. that's like or that, that's going around. It's like if I would have asked people what they wanted, they would have said a faster horse. Instead of, yeah. instead of the car, right? right so right, right. how do you balance that creative, mad scientist, pave your own way type thing um, of like giving people what, what you believe they, they want versus and, and building that out versus, um, you know, kind of using their feedback and incorporating the things that they say to, to build your own thing? Or, or, or is that not even an issue with the framework that you're talking about? I think it is an issue. And, and, and the question is, what are you listening? When you hear somebody say, I want a faster horse, what you really should hear is, I want to get where I want to go faster, right? You should hear the problem, not necessarily the solution that they came up with, right? You don't want to listen to them if they say, well, you know, what you need to do, Russ, is you need to build um, a module, about in your course about um you know feeding your tomatoes or you know uh better hitting drills or something like that what you really want to hear is what you want to hear somebody say what you want to hear when somebody says that is what is the issue that they're talking about and then you go and you decide how that's going to get addressed in, in ford's case he went and built a car right oh you want to get there faster you don't necessarily want a horse you want this automobile, right? And so, you know, focus on the pain points you're hearing, not necessarily what they're suggesting as a solution. Um, Because like you said, they, they're going to, they're going to come up with whatever their limited, you know, creativity they've, and, and, and just to give them the benefit of the doubt, I mean, they don't, they don't sit around thinking about this problem all day long, like you were doing in, in your business. Right. So you're going to come back with a better solution than they could ever came up with. What you're looking for is what symptoms do they have when you're talking to them? What what are they complaining about and the problems? And if they give you suggestions about how to solve it, sometimes they will come up with something way better than you would have. But a lot of times they they will just tell you they want a faster horse. I think that's a great answer of not necessarily taking everything that they're saying as is, but digging deeper and understanding the real problem 
of of what they're saying. I think I think it's a that's a brilliant answer. Um, so we we've we've talked a lot about uh, your four step framework and the information product business, um, and I, and I know we can't cover all of it in this in this session, but what things having covered all that we have, what other things are people not thinking about that they need to know about the information product business? Well, there's a couple of, a couple of things that spring to mind when you say that one is if you were going to get in the information product business, I think one of the, one of the things that I wrestled with as I launched modern publisher was should this be a Russ Hanaberry business or should this be a brand? Right. And I think this is a binary decision you need to make early and, and consider uh, before you go out there and start any business where uh, you're going to be teaching stuff. Right. Are you going to brand this to yourself or are you going to brand this to a, a brand like I did with Modern Publisher? And I think that the real question you'd ask yourself is what, you know, this sounds nuts to think about if you're just getting started, but what's the plan with the business at the end, at the end of the thing? Like, what are you going to do with it? So as much as I love somebody like Tony Robbins, right? And Tony has certainly built something that will live beyond him, but he's definitely created a personal brand. Um, well, there's your dogs. I was thinking my, my dog was going to get involved. I know she got jealous of all the, all the <laughs> mad value you're dropping. I got my dog over here. He's being good. Um, but, um, you know, Tony's built something there where it's going to be, you know, what is Tony Robbins business without Tony Robbins? Right. Um, you know, and when we wrestle with this over at digital marketer as well, anybody that's listening that knows about digital marketer at, at one time, it was very much a guru business. It was Ryan Dice's business. Um, and, and he still is, you know, he's the owner, but at the end of the day, he made a conscious decision to brand to digital marketer. He ended up, you know, putting different people like me and, you know, Molly Pittman, Justin Rondo, Marcus Murphy, Richard Lindner. He, he created sort of this faculty around him um, that spread, you know, the brand across a lot of different people and, and sort of made it possible for him to A, sell the business at some point or B, you know, hand it off to somebody else like a child or something like that. But whatever the succession plan is, a lot of times in the info space, uh, people will brand to themselves, but they, and they, and that's great. Like a lot of people do it and it's really a powerful way to do it. It's just, you need to understand the risks involved. There is an upside to branding to your name. And that is that people love to associate with other people. Right. And, and so it's a lot easier to actually get the business up off the ground as a business that's branded to you. Um, it's just that, you know, down the line, you might find yourself boxed in a little bit in terms of what you can do with the business in terms of selling it. Um, or if something happens to you, you know, what can happen, what would ever happen to that business? Um, so that's one thing. Uh, I think a second big thing um, is that when you think about this four-step framework, attention, subscription, acquisition, monetization, most people will start with attention, right? They're like, man, I need to I'm going to go and I'm going to create an information business. And it's like, let's start a blog. Um, and that's fine. But I would suggest that you start deeper in the ladder. Start at monetization. Build your big boy first. Build a course or a service is typically the two, right? So you're going to build a course or a service. These things, the reason I suggest this is that when you build your big course or you build your service, you're going to have to build out a lot of the curriculum around which you're going to do things. And what happens is when you have the big course or you have the big service and you've fleshed a lot of that out, you're going to have a process that you can, that you can teach out at the attention stage. You're going to create content that you can do what we call splinter, right? You're going to pull little splinters out of that little, that big course or that big service, and you're going to put it out on the blog, or you're going to put it out on your podcast. You're going to use it as a lead magnet to get people to opt in. You're going to maybe create a small course out of your service or a small course out of a little piece of your big course, right? And sell it as an acquisition stage. You might create a course or a service and a, and a book comes out of it, right? So you want to start with the bigger piece. Now that is, if you know what you're, what you already got the experience, if you're just kind of feeling around and you're like, I'm just trying to get my finger on what I want to do. And I don't know exactly who I want to, to, um, 
serve and I don't know what it's going to be about, start a blog, start writing, start podcasting, start talking. And, and weird things happen when we talk, right? Like things come out and you start to, you start to find your passion. Number three, don't try to figure out what you want to be when you grow up. All right. So a lot of people are like, wow. And I, I, I've done, I'm 44 years old, right? Um, you know, there's been times where I've been like, what do I want to be? I want to be a, the shortstop for the St. Louis Cardinals when I grow up. But rather than trying to figure that out, here's a better question to ask, especially if you're going to start an information business, rather than what do I want to be when I grow up? It's who do I want to serve when I grow up? So if you have the heart of a teacher, look around and say, who do I love? Who would I love to spend time with and teach? And that's why I ended up starting Modern Publishers. I want to be around other teachers. I want to be around this group. I want to help this group. I want to serve this group because that's essentially what you're doing. Anytime you get into business, you're becoming uh, a servant, right? You need to have the servant's mindset when you get into business. I think you have that, right? I think, I think just based on, you know, my investigation of what you're doing, that you have the servant's mindset, that you're, you're anticipating what your audience needs and wants and wants to learn, right? That's why you're very good at, at conducting these interviews and que asking these questions is because you have the, the, the servant's mindset. So I would advise you, if you're, if you're somebody that's out there and you're like, I just don't know what I want to be when I grow up, instead ask yourself what, who you want to serve. Who would you love to get up every morning and say, I'm going to go out there and serve this audience? <clears throat> you know, because your business is not defined by your product. It's defined by your market. You first find the market and then you figure out what you're going to sell. Right. So, you know, you don't need to know everything that's going to happen with your business. You do need to know who you want to help and who you want to serve. Does that make sense? Yeah. You know, you know, when you have this thing that's like you're looking forward to it, it's like an event or a vacation or something cool and like you build it up in your mind and then and then it happens and then it's way better than you thought it was even going to be in your mind. That's yeah. exactly like how this interview has been. Yeah. So. <laughs> so thank you for uh, for sharing everything that you have and for dropping some mad, mad value bombs on, on the people, including myself. So I appreciate it. That was awesome, man. I uh, just have a few more questions for you, then, then we'll wrap sure. up. I want to be respectful of your time. Um, is there anything about yourself that you think is an important part of who you are that I did not ask you about today? In other words, what did I miss? Well, I think the important part that, that people need to know about usually anybody is the part that's off offline and, and, and out of their business. You know, my family is a reason that I do, you know, what I do. I, I've, I have taken less money and moved jobs and, um, you know, done different things with my career that weren't necessarily going to make me more money because I wanted to make sure that I kept my lifestyle in a way that I could be close to my family. Cause I have two kids, um, you know, and, and I didn't rush it. Right. You know, I make good money and, and, and I make a great living and I'm very proud of that. That's not what defines me. Right. It's, it's the, it really is. And I work, you know, I come up to this office and I work, you know, I, I'm here at 8am and I leave around 5pm. And then usually when the kids are, are back to sleep, a lot of times I hop back on and do another couple hours. So I work, I do plenty of work. It's, I'm not doing the four hour work week thing. Um, but I am able to, if, if my daughter needs me to run down and pick her up from school right now, cause she's sick, I can do that. Right. You know, um, my wife literally tutors kids at the school and they, they're, you know, I could walk down there in five minutes. It's so there's a lot of that, that part, you know, that, you know, why do we do what we do? You know, um, you know, it's an honor to serve not just my audience, but also my family, you know, and, and, and all that. So that's, that's another part of me that, you know, understandably you didn't ask me about. <laughs> what's your greatest theory my greatest theory huh. well I, I mean from a business perspective I think my greatest theory was when I started to crack a little bit of the code on content marketing um, and I don't think this is a theory um, 
I think it's quite logical when I, when I lay it out there, but, um, you know, just like you have, you know, you have the attention subscription acquisition and monetization stages, there is supporting content that can be built at all of those stages. And, um, you know, when I started to get into this game, I was coming out of the SEO world, talked about that earlier. Um, and I realized that SEO, man, the handwriting is on the wall. Like SEO is a subset of content marketing, you know, and, and that's, uh, I still believe that today, social media marketing content uh, and search engine optimization are, are um, underneath the umbrella of content marketing. And, um, you know, gone are those days of the search engine optimization tricks that we used to do. Um, and so my theory became, yeah, content marketing is, is, uh, you know, the foundational bricks upon which all other digital marketing principles lie, right? Because we spend so much time online interacting with content. It's the foundation. It's the bricks upon which the internet is built. It fuels your paid traffic, right? You got to have content if you're going to run paid traffic. Uh, it fuels your search. It fuels your social. It fuels your email. It, feel, it fuels everything. So um, there was a time there where I, I mean, and I was a freelancer at the time. I would walk into a, a meeting uh, with, a, with a potential client. They wouldn't know what I meant when I said content marketing. And now it's gone quite mainstream. Um, and, and so I was proud to be, you know, one of the early adopters of that concept and see that, you know, this isn't about SEO. It's not about social. It's not about email. It's about providing better experiences for people. Does that make sense? Yeah, this is awesome. Um, I'm, I'm 24 and uh, this, this show is, is my greatest passion. And, and I have another business on outside of the show, but what question should I be asking you, specifically me, asking specifically with your genius, your knowledge, your wisdom that I just wouldn't think to ask? Well, I mean, the, the advice I would have given myself back when I was in my 20s, um, I, I did, you know, and this is crazy to say because I am a, I am a teacher at heart, but I didn't invest in my own self early enough. Right. So I always had an excuse as to why I wasn't going to go attend this event or buy this training or hire this consultant or coach or any of those things. Um, you know, it was always, you know, well, you know, there's, there's not quite enough money in the bank there to, to, to do that. And I'll figure it out on my own. And I'll tell you, you know, I would have uh, microwaved my results you know, if, if I would have leveraged other people. So I have this tremendous problem with um, not asking for help, you know? So um, I just don't, you know, I, I tend to, you know, think I can take care of everything on my own. And um, you know, when you're small and you're a solopreneur um, or you have, you know, just a few team members, um it, you got to get out of that situation pretty quick, right? You got to, you got to figure out like, where are the low value tasks that, that you're doing every day? Um, you know, because there's, you know, it took me into my thirties to realize there's $10 an hour work, $100 an hour work, $1,000 an hour work, $10,000 an hour work, you know, and, and beyond. And if you're, you know, if you start going through how you're spending your day and you're finding a lot of $10 an hour work, you got to get rid of that $10 an hour work, you, you know, and then at some point in your, in your career, you're going to have to get rid of the hundred dollar an hour work and start doing mainly thousand dollar work. And then eventually if you're lucky, you're going to get to a stage where you're even outsourcing and, and giving out to people that thousand dollar an hour work and you're doing. And so, you know, it's not about necessarily needing to build some giant organization, but it is about asking other people to take over tasks that just 
you know, at some point you need to outgrow and creating um, better documentation. You know, like I have a guy who does all of the stuff for my video now and I just love it. I just, I shoot the video and then I hand it over to him and then boop, 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 he goes and does his thing. And it's a process that I invented that I wanted him to use and I documented it for him. And now he does all that work. Um, it's, it was such low value lever pulling type work. And I'm so happy that, you know, I no longer need to do that. And so as somebody that's launching a new business, modern publisher, um, I'm finding things like that every day and moving those things, you know, figuring out the best way to do it, documenting it, and then moving it off to somebody else. Russ, I want to thank you for coming on the show today, sharing this time with me. It's truly yeah, been an fun. honor to, uh, to speak with you and, and, uh, you know, get, get to chat and man, I, I really meant when I said that you've been a, a huge role model to me in my life. And, and I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for everything that, that you've done and that you continue to do for people. I appreciate it. And, uh, I love what you're doing here with project egg and, um, thanks for having me on your show. Thank you, sir. And uh, to everybody who's watching, listening, I want to thank y'all. Y'all are the reason that I do this and I love y'all very, very much. And your support means the world to me and yeah, let's rock it. I'll see y'all in the next episode. Have a good one.